Having trouble staffing up? You're not alone. Our industry is facing an unprecedented labor shortage, and tech will play a central role in solving that problem. Yelp Kiosk was built in 2018 for restaurants who couldn't afford to pay a dedicated host. In 2021, Yelp Kiosk is supporting restaurants that want to do more with less. By adding Kiosk, your host is no longer trapped behind the host stand, enabling them to assist in all front-of-house operations. Learn more about how Kiosk can help your restaurant at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash kiosk. Now here we go. Your goal should be to make your brand a place where employees want to be and try to find your points of difference so that the best talent stays with you, wants to develop with you, sees a path with you, and that you can compete out there no matter what. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. As a business owner, creating and living by core values is a full-time job. It's a choice that changes the very genetic code of our restaurants. When done right, core values answer every question and create a roadmap to the future. Today we chat with John Capasola, a culture-first leader who spent the pandemic doubling down on his commitment to living and leading by Del Taco's core values. In this conversation, we unpack how to scale culture across over 600 locations, even in the midst of a global pandemic, and the result it has on recruiting, retention, and growth. It's about people, developing people, working with people, building teams, and serving guests. So those are the highest level. Those are the things that are probably most important when you think about both. But I started in the stores as a 17-year-old at Block and was doing that while I was going to college and working full-time. Eventually became a store manager while I was in school and doing that, working 50, 60 hours a week and taking a full load at school and learning everything that I could learn. But the thing that really was the most fun for me that really helped me understand this is going into business, this is what I want to do for a living is be around people and serve guests. I loved watching teams grow, developing people, watching them get promoted is all around the new release wall, right? It's the same thing on a Friday night at Del Taco. It's, you know, you got a line of cars in the drive-thru and you want to give every guest the best product possible so they have the best experience possible and get them through that line as quickly as you can to be able to deliver all that. So, you know, it's a lot of parallels, a lot of things I was able to pull from in my years of both operations and then obviously brand strategy and marketing and the work I was able to do while I was there at Blockbuster. Very similar in regards to how you think about the consumer and delivering kind of that end product to the consumer so they have a great experience. You and I look to be similar in age. So I'm curious, like out of college, did you think the Blockbuster was going to be the job you had till you retired? I didn't know, to tell you the truth. I knew that I loved what I was doing at the time, and it was presenting me with great opportunities. I mean, to be able to start as a cashier and within a couple of years be running a store and taking real things that you were learning in school at the time and watching that come together within the four walls was pretty interesting. You don't know what you don't know at that age, but you start to put the pieces together, right? That, hey, you know, it's a service business. You're only as good as the people that are working for you. The better you treat them, the better you train them, the better they're going to be able to execute. Obviously, being able to 
move from a store to be a multi-unit leader and then move from multi-unit leadership to the corporate office. The stars aligned for me to just continue to stay in that business and learn in that business. And it was a great place to be at the time. So it certainly helped pave the way for me to be here at Del Taco. I think it really put me in a position to think expansively around a brand. It's not just about the brand position and the points of differentiation. It's about the people and the promise you make and how you deliver that promise to the guests. And those are things I'm really passionate about. Is that where your circle of genius lies, would you say? Is it in people? Is it in those human relationships? Jeez, that's a big word, genius. I've just definitely been more of a work harder, try harder type of guy, but certainly take that as a compliment. Yeah, I think thinking about things strategically, thinking about architecture around a brand, thinking about how you put people in a great position to be successful, how you build a culture that has longevity. I'm really focused always on what are the things that are going to stick? How are you thinking about the long game when you're developing strategy? And that is the things that you need to do today to embed that brand or embed that culture so that people want to come and be part of your brand. And whether that's an employee or a guest, you can't make decisions out of convenience. You have to make them very purposefully. Well, and I would assume that served you well. According to LinkedIn, you are one month away from your 13-year anniversary at Del Taco. I was looking at all of your past positions and you've worn like a dozen hats over there. And I'm curious to know, was the intention always to become the CEO? And talk to me about the path from executive to CEO, because I would assume that that's many people's dream out there, but they get stuck in middle management. They get stuck in upper middle management. What do you think were the real drivers, both internally and strategically, that helped you achieve such a level of success? Well, no, I appreciate that. I think going in, you always want to go in and do the best job that you can in the position that you're given. That's step one. If you can't execute the job well and be a top performer in the job that you currently have, it's going to be tough for you to maybe see yourself as a top performer in a more elevated position. And certainly others, as they look at you, it may be tough for them as well, right? So whatever is right in front of you, do that to the best of your ability and do it with passion and love it and perform. And if you do that, it tends to put you in a position to start to look at, okay, what does that next move look like for me? And as I came into Dell, I probably could have gone a couple of paths. One was definitely the brand path and working on the architecture of the company and the strategy and thinking about how to position the brand for the long term, you know, and coming in as the CMO. The other path was going back into operations, which was my roots and something that I was certainly very passionate about. I, through conversations with my leadership team at the time and and the CEO that brought me in, the best path for me was that brand path. And I felt like I could have great impact there. So I came in and just tried to be the best CMO that I could be. And I tried to be the best leader that I could be that transcended my department. So I started my own business, my first business at 24 years old. There was no imposter syndrome at all. I felt completely entitled at 24 years old to run my own business, run my own team. And I was incredibly confident at 24 that I was going to knock this thing out of the park. But as I've gotten older and continued to sit in that big chair, I have certainly questioned over the years whether I am the right person to sit in that chair. And I'm sure when you were extended the opportunity to become the CEO of a ginormous corporation, there was an ego boost there. But at any point, was there, am I the guy for the job? Can I do this? And if so, how did you navigate 
those fears, that apprehension, that self-doubt? Well, listen, when you have a mentality that is, hey, I want to do the best job possible for my employees, for my guests, you're always going to have a little bit of that, right? You're going to feel, I think every position I've probably taken, I've had a little bit of butterflies in the stomach initially and going, okay, I've really got it. Let's figure this out, right? You don't have all the answers on day one, but your approach is what really matters, I think. And that's what gives you confidence and maybe settles you in a little bit. And if your approach is, I want to listen to people, I want to hear what they have to say, I want to look at the insights and understand the research. I want to ask those questions. I want to ask people what questions aren't being asked. What are the things that maybe people were afraid to ask? Let's get it all on the table and let's work through it. Let's get some opinions on where you think we should be and work through all of that. I mean, that's a great place to start. And that's always helped me initially get over the hump when you go into a new job, new position. You know, it can be a little scary as you think about, okay, I don't have all the answers today. I don't have the game plan right now. But if you're confident that you can work through a process to get there, then that helps settle you down a little bit, right? It helps settle you in a little bit. For sure. Has mentorship played a role in your career at all? Absolutely. I've got folks that have been in my life that I've been lucky enough to have in my life that I can lean on and are willing to talk to me from time to time. And I'm able to share experiences with them that I'm having, and they're able to share experiences back with me. It's always hard to give someone exact advice because you're never as close to it. But the best mentors I've had have been those that are willing to share experiences of a similar nature that you kind of draw from. You don't need all the answers. What you need is, let me talk to you about a story in my career and something that happened to me that's very similar to what you're going through right now or what you're trying to make a decision on right now. And then you glean insights from that. When you stepped into the role as CEO, how did you want to make an impact? What holes did you see that could potentially be filled based on your core competency and your focus and your vision for this company? Well, the number one thing I wanted to impact right out of the gates was culture. We have a saying here that time spent at Del Taco should be time well spent. We developed our core values around that. I mentioned my comment earlier around the convenience of just throwing things in when you think you need them. Culture is not convenient. Culture is you either have it or you don't. And if you haven't built it in and you're not serious about it, that'll come off as being pretty disingenuous to your employees when things aren't connected and the dots aren't there. One day you're talking about the importance of people and the next day you're talking about something that goes completely against that. And I think the pandemic probably, I'm most proud of our team and what we accomplished throughout that period because we looked at our core values. And when it was week one, day one of this shutdown and what are we going to do? And we're trying to protect liquidity because we don't know where the market's going to go. And it's March of 2020 and no one knows where it's going to go. We were talking about, okay, what are the core things that we need to do to protect our people, protect our franchisees, use some of our liquidity to make sure that that is happening? Because those are the things that are going to carry us through in the long run. And we guaranteed our general manager bonuses in Q1 and Q2, knowing that performance was not going to be there in all likelihood, at least from what we believed was about to happen. We went and we deferred royalty payments and cut marketing fees for our franchisees. And we went out with a very transparent, collaborative message with our owners. And we were having very regular conversations almost on a daily basis about these things. So to me, that transparency, building that strong culture, being genuine about it, not being afraid to communicate it and then bring it through your plan and your structure, that was really important to me. I think culture is an absolute performance driver. Your goal should be to make your brand a place where employees want to be, 
and try to find your points of difference so that the best talent stays with you, wants to develop with you, sees a path with you, and that you can compete out there no matter what is happening in the environment around you. You're always going to have that turnover, but do you use that as an excuse to not go after culture? Or do you look at it as, no, we're in this for the long run, and this is going to be really important for us to running a very successful hospitality business in the long run is we have to have a strong culture. Talking about culture as the CEO is amazing, but disseminating that message, those values, and putting those values into action at a store level with over 600 stores, how does that work? What does that look like day to day? Well, one, the leadership team has to be completely bought in, right? So you think about everyone being on the same page in regards to how important that is. So the department level folks, the folks out in the field that are leading the teams, they have to believe it, live it, breathe it. That helps a lot. The other piece is structurally, you have to embed it. So when you think about like at Dell, we have our core values and we talk about them and celebrate them regularly. We have built them into our training materials. We've built aspects of that into our recruiting materials. We think about employees that are doing recruiting for us, right? And we have bonuses that we give team members and such and incentives we give them when they're able to bring people to the table to come and work inside of our business. And we want them again. We want them to talk about time spent at Del Taco is time well spent. I come here, they give me an opportunity to develop my career. They give me an opportunity to learn a little bit more about myself. They give me an opportunity to be around good people. They treat me with respect. Yeah, sure. They hold me accountable and I have goals that I have to achieve and things of that nature, but they also give me the tools to achieve those things. And so that is what you need to think about is, is it structurally built into your training? Is it structurally built in through the way you think about compensation, your total rewards package, the way that someone that comes into a restaurant and starts on day one, how do they know about succession planning? How do they know that if they become a top performing cashier, that they'll move to the back of the house? And if they move to the back of the house and you start working the taco bar position, which is a very important position, the heart and soul of the restaurant during core day parts, this is where hot food, hot, cold food, cold, it all comes together there. You got to be really good at your job to get that done. And we want people feeling really good about their ability to get to that position and then to get from that position to being able to be a shift leader, to being able to be an assistant manager, to be able to be a general manager, an area director, or a franchise business consultant. These are all things that are possible when you come and work for you know, a restaurant brand, right? And especially a big scaled restaurant brand like Del Taco. It's all of those things that I just talked about and more. I mean, some things are very brand specific as well. That's a huge takeaway for me personally, because I've never really thought of road mapping on like an hourly employee level, but I would assume it's critical. As a typical owner operator, we see most of our hourly employees as this is a transitional position for them. They are students. They are actors. One audition away from dropping the mic and walking out. There are all of these things that they could impact their ability to continue on with the company. But why would they even be inspired to continue with the company without a path to a stable career? Don't forget, too, the thing that we miss sometimes around all of this is how far something like recognition goes. It's innate in human nature. People want to be recognized. People want to know that, hey, I'm doing a good job. I'm working hard. But geez, my supervisor really appreciates that and recognizes me. So creating little things like little awards or little 
points of recognition, keeping it top of mind. Who am I going to recognize this week? Who are the people that are really going above and beyond that I want to make sure they know that I'm noticing what they're doing and that I really appreciate it? Those are those soft benefits of the job, right? Where you kind of look at it and you go, that's part of someone feeling good about working somewhere. What does your day-to-day look like? And the reason I ask is because if you're working on the business constantly and you're not working in the business, I would assume it's really easy to get disconnected. It's very easy to become a great manager of managers. I don't know what that does to brand longevity. So what does your day look like? How do you split it up? Obviously, I spend a good chunk of my day on a normal basis with the support team or franchisees and with our operators. You know, there's ebbs and flows. So when you look at my typical calendar, you're probably going to see time in the office. I'm trying to be as efficient as possible while I'm in the office. So you're going to see a lot of back-to-back type meetings. The office is virtual right now. So as a virtual support center, you're going to see a lot of Teams meetings on my calendar. And then you're going to see time blocked off with franchisees and and talking with franchisees. And you're going to see time blocked off to make sure that our company operations is getting time as well. And so you have to wear many hats, but you got to rely on your leadership team. I mean, at the end of the day, we hire the people that we do to be in these leadership positions to go and do a really great job at taking their subject of expertise to the next level, being the leaders that we need them to be within their function, collaborating, being transparent, living our core values, executing our strategy well that we've all aligned on and agreed upon and challenge the areas that maybe aren't quite working as well, right? So if you feel good, I'm a big believer in, when I first read the book, Good to Great, Jim Collins. Oh, yeah. And you think about some of the things that are just so transcendent in that book, like the idea of having the right people in the right seat on the bus. It's so true, right? It's getting that people piece first, getting that done first is so critically important so that you're confident in that area. And then you can go ahead and let the strategy come together and the execution come together through those people. I think it's hard to be everything to everyone. And especially in food service, it could be exhausting and not profitable to do so. You guys jumped on the plant-based movement really early. And I'm wondering, how does that relate to your overall corporate strategy? Yeah. So our brand position is about being a QSR plus brand. And what that means for Del Taco is we are a brand that can deliver fast food drive-through level value, very similar kind of price value as you're going to find in most fast food drive-throughs like Taco Bell or McDonald's. But we also then bring to the table fast casual-like quality that's surprising where we're bringing in whole produce and we're making fresh guacamole from whole avocados and pico de gallo from scratch from whole tomatoes and 40-pound blocks of cheddar cheese that we're literally grating this cheese every day in the restaurants. We're not bringing it in in a bag. So that dichotomy around this unbelievable price value with this surprising freshness and quality that Del Taco delivers is what brought that opportunity to the table to make sense for our brand position. Because we knew that we're not just your typical fast food drive through with low price and convenience. We're able to scale up a bit with this freshness platform that we have and get a little bit more credit on the freshness side of the fence than maybe your typical fast food restaurant. So things like Beyond made sense for us because we had that foothold of credibility around freshness and quality. We've done things like the fresh avocado that went into the Epic Burritos and doing very high quality burritos through a drive-through at a very fair price point, you know, five or six dollar 
one pound burritos basically that are loaded with fresh ingredients and grilled meats like grilled chicken or grilled carne asada that we do in-house as well. So it just made sense from a positioning standpoint. It was just one of those things that we're not afraid to try new things because that brand position is flexible enough to allow us to do that. So your innovation process should always be pushing the envelope towards, let's kind of see how far we can take this and get ourselves outside of our comfort zone within reason of your brand position, right? So you should always be looking at things that are squarely down the middle in the strike zone and then things that are around the edges as well. And beyond was one of those things around the edges, but we got it to make sense for us pretty quickly and we decided to move it forward. What is your innovation strategy? Where do you go to get a glimpse of what's next? Are you looking at independent restaurants across the country with these single owner operators are doing and the privacy of their own kitchens and saying, oh, that's cool. That could work for us. Where do you find out what's next? Yeah, we have a great consumer insights function here at Del Taco. So we have folks that are just really good at tapping into insights that are available to us in the market, whether it be secondary research that's just out there or white papers that are out there or trends that are occurring that you're reading about in QSR or NRN or whatever those trades publications are that you keep an eye on. So we've got a great insights team and a marketing team that's got the same mindset, right? Always watching trends, seeing what's on trend, talking to vendors and suppliers, having them do presentations for us so we understand what they're seeing from their perspective. And certainly you mentioned watching what the local independents are doing, watching what's happening on menus. And this is one of those categories that if you're going to survive in the long run, you've got to innovate. And it's not always menu innovation either. I mean, look at what's happened in the last 15 months from an innovation standpoint on how folks get food from restaurants. I mean, that's a service mode innovation, right? Delivery, ordering ahead, serving out in my parking lot because I can't have people into my dining room. I mean, this is a category that is all about innovation and you've got to have the insights and the willingness to go there to be successful over the long run. When you prioritize, is the priority to capitalize on trends or is it to start them? I think starting them would be nice if you can be on the leading edge like we were with Turkey and beyond and things of that nature. But geez, there's no pride in authorship either. I mean, if the consumer is moving in a direction, even if you're not first to market, you should probably be taking a pretty close look at it. Delivery is a great example of what's really changed our category over the last couple of years. Two years ago, we'd be sitting here and there'd be a lot of folks in the category that would be highly skeptical, right? Remember reading the articles around, can't make any money at it. And I don't know about this, if it's a good thing for the brand. Listen, those were all the right comments to make at the time. We just didn't have enough information. The consumer trend hadn't accelerated yet. And you heard a lot of folks kind of on the fence about delivery. I don't think you're going to hear many executives (laughs) (laughs) talking about delivery not being a deep consumer trend at this point that you've got to figure out. So then you pivot to, let's figure out the business model. How does that intersect with the consumer model? How are we going to make money here? How are we going to take advantage of the market share opportunity? Right? You get into much meatier more fun conversations to have. And and so you got to have an open mind, but just because you're not first to market doesn't mean you shouldn't jump on the trend. Sure, you might want to try to make it your own. I get that. And I think everyone should try to make things their own for their brand. But the core insight that is driving that consumer demand, don't lose sight of that. Absolutely. You've presided over, I'm sure, hundreds of restaurant openings and I'm sure a few closures as well. 
And I'm wondering, what do you think separates the winners from the losers based on your experience? Because your sample size is just so much larger than mine, right? This is one of those formulas that are, it's probably more about blocking and tackling than anything. One, but the early part of your process is make sure that you're not sub-optimizing the real estate, right? Either picking a good site might cost you a little bit extra money to get the right site in the trade area, making sure that your access is good if you're a fast food brand or a brand that's driven on convenience, or you've got a parking lot that's just jam-packed and you're looking at it and going, got a hundred cars in this parking lot every day. Where are my customers going to park? Ask those questions because <laughs> it's not likely going to change when you open a high opportunity restaurant in that shopping center. So that real estate, that access piece, making sure you've got good ingress, egress, that's really important. It's really important to long run success for a four wall brand. The next piece is obviously operations. And I go back to the people and making sure that you surround your team with really good quality people that care about customers, want to deliver the brand promise. Don't be afraid to put enough staff in initially until you know where it's going to settle out at. But most importantly, get the right people in, train them well. Those situations where it doesn't go well, we see too many times and across brands, really. And as I've talked to peers and such, those real estate decisions that are tweeners or those bad decisions on, hey, I saved a buck by doing a little bit less training and opening a little bit quicker. Those are things that can come back and bite you in the form of stemming demand and causing your brand not to reach its true potential in the trade area. Those are just a couple of areas that, you know, it's blocking and tackling, of course, it's real estate and operations, but you got to set yourself up for success because opening a new restaurant in a new market or a new restaurant in a new trade area, those are difficult things to do just in general. So making sure you've got the fundamentals right around real estate and operations and people, that's going to put you in the best position possible. I would also assume that there are a lot of parallels between being a great independent restaurateur and being a great franchisee. I agree. And so I'm curious to know, what are the qualities that really stand out to you that make a great franchisee? I think that entrepreneur spirit, you just nailed it. I think that operating within the structure of the brand, but thinking about how do I optimize my plight and my success within the markets that I operate in. So as a corporation, we're not going to know as much in a state or a market as a franchisee would that has operated in that trade area before or has infrastructure and people or has built restaurants there before. They have a lot of knowledge, local knowledge to draw from that I think really can aid their success. So that entrepreneur spirit, that local market know-how, those are things that we value with franchising. And that's why we're so excited about franchising right now. And with Del Taco, I mean, we're really leading our growth strategy as being led by franchising. So for us, we want our franchisees to be in the best position possible to be able to build restaurants, but have successful restaurants. We just launched a new prototype called Fresh Flex for our growth, and that gives them the ability to be real entrepreneurs. The Fresh Flex prototype can be a drive-through only model that's only 1,156 square feet, or it can be a standard prototype that's around 2,300 square foot with a double drive-through and dining room. And so decisions now can be made on those things and everything in between to make sure you optimize the trade area or the market based on your local knowledge as a franchisee. And we really value that local knowledge. So we're excited about franchising and franchisees at Del Taco. And we're excited about the growth that lies ahead on that front. 
It's super interesting you say that because I would say that you and I are very much aligned in that the idea of a restaurant is being redefined in real time in our lifetime. And it's, you don't need 6,000 square feet. You can have it if you want it, but you can do the same kind of volume by diversifying revenue streams out of 1,500 square feet. And so with the fresh flex model is the idea that you're generating comparable revenue, but through takeout, delivery, drive-through, as opposed to a traditional dine-in model? That would certainly be the idea. You know, that's the thesis here is if you can get the service mode piece right. So even if it's a drive-through only, you've got a double drive-through. You've got a takeout capability. You're using tech integration to enable these things at the restaurant. We actually have a strategy called Park and Get It. And essentially, we have covered stalls on the drive-through only building that can be implemented that essentially let consumers just park, order from their phone, and somebody just brings the food right to their car. And now the car becomes the dining room, right? So we have to be willing to innovate in these areas and leverage technology at the restaurant to be able to create opportunities like that. And what that will do is hopefully open up more real estate opportunities for growth. And we have a strategy basically called our menu of venues strategy. And what that is, is it's fully leveraging the fresh flex prototype from a, whether it's a smaller footprint model that you can get in a tighter piece of dirt, maybe that's all that's available in your trade area, or you want something that someone can sit down and enjoy and have a dining experience with, which takes a larger piece of dirt. We want to make sure that we've got the flexibility and the capability of doing all of that. But to your point, tech integration and thinking about service modes expansively, that's a really strong starting point. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. The audience is thousands of restaurant owners and operators just like yourself. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to share? I think the big thing, why are we all here? Have some fun. This is a business that is, we're about serving guests. We're about serving people, serving our employees. What more fun is there than doing all of that? Now, we got to make money. We got to drive sales. We all have different objectives and quantitative goals and financial objectives that we want to achieve. But if you start at the real basic fundamental point of we want to have some fun, we want to make sure our employees are having fun, our guests are having fun, and that we're putting the right things in place for that to happen. I just think we can get very serious at times because we're all very serious business people and we want to be successful, right? But don't lose sight of what causes a guest to get excited about coming to your restaurant. That's John Capasola. For more on Del Taco, go to deltaco.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.